Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Solid Ground Church, where every week we share messages recorded during our weekly gatherings in Lewis, Delaware. If you have questions or if we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now, let's get to this week's message. 26 through 40, it says this. I'm going to read it out of the real Bible first, not the Apple Bible. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace. This man has gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of the Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stand near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shears is silent. Talk about like a layup from the Holy Spirit. Um, So he did uh, not open his mouth in his humiliation. He was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch said to Philip, "Tell uh, tell me please who the prophet talking about himself or somebody else. And Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water. Philip baptized him. When he came up from the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on with his rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus, I'm not good with names, and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is one of my favorite pieces of scripture um, because it, it looks like at the end of it, this is why, because if I could ever have a superpower, it'd be teleportation. And it looks like at the end of this piece of scripture that the Holy Spirit teleports Philip out from the water. He says he baptized him, and then suddenly the Lord called him away. And I spent plenty of time reading about, like, I was like, does God teleport people? Because that would be, like, how convenient would that be? You know, Fourth of July, you want to go watch the fireworks in Rehoboth? You're like, God, just use me to evangelize down there. Down there. Like, you don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to pay. You don't have to go in traffic. Um, And I read in my one, I love this one commentary. It's my favorite commentary, and I read it. And the commentator said, he made a note to say, Philip did not teleport. It was about the suddenness with which God called him to this next thing. And I told Pastor Burt, and he's like, I refuse to believe that is true. And he, he talked to his other friend who's a pastor up in Milford. He's like, I, I refuse to believe that's true. And they're sending me like the Greek word. It's like he, that God snatched him up. And then I kept reading um, different commentaries. And I'm convinced that the Lord teleported Philip out of that. So there is hope in the Lord that we will be able to teleport. Um, but imagine, have you ever prayed this prayer? Maybe you're like me. I've prayed this prayer like, God, I'm here. Would you just use me? God, just, just please, 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 
please use me. Whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do. And I wonder if Philip is kind of praying that same prayer. Um, we know from previously before this, Philip, he goes and preaches, and he has some success preaching um, to, to a, a town, to a group of people. And people, he says, he um, performed signs and wonders and miracles. And that people accepted Jesus, that he preached to the masses. And I know for me as a preacher, you get to go preach somewhere, and you're like, God, just use me however you want to use me. And really what I'm saying is, God, give me another preaching opportunity. And I wonder if Philip had success in this moment. He's, God, use me however you want to use me. God, send me to the next town to preach. And then what God does with his great sense of humor is he sends them into the desert. It's like, you want to, you want to, be, you want to be used by me? Go into the desert. And Philip, he goes. And I wonder if Philip, you know, he's walking with the disciples and he's like, he wants to do the things that the disciples are doing. He gets to do it, and he wants to just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And so Philip says, use me, God. And God says, go to the desert. Just listen. Go to the desert. And sometimes I think this story, I think this story is really amazing because we see Philip have success in a corporate setting. And in, in he's going and he's preaching to the masses. He's, he's, he's standing in front of a bunch of people and he's preaching and he, he's holding an ancient microphone and he's telling people about Jesus and his people are saved and miracles, signs, and wonders happen. And then this next moment where he is with a person one-on-one, meeting somebody right where he's at. It's not... Philip didn't have time to prepare a three-point sermon and the worship band didn't have time to rehearse and, and to do all these things. That It wasn't this like polished moment that God just sent him to this place and, and what we'll see is that he, doesn't, he sends him and doesn't tell him why he's there. He just tells him, like, go down to the desert road. And Philip goes in an amazing act of obedience. And he just stumbles upon this guy that's sitting in the back seat of his chariot going home. And God has set up this opportunity. And I think it's a beautiful opportunity because for some of us, maybe your experience is that you didn't accept Jesus. You didn't understand Jesus in a moment like this, but you sat down with somebody face to face and they walk you through the scriptures. And that's when it all came to life for you. I, I, I love churches because because I experienced Jesus for the first time in a church-style setting. But for some of you, it was face-to-face with a person just like this. And I want to go through this story, and I want to look at Philip, and I want to look at the, the eunuch, and I want to see what God is doing in them and what he wants to do through us in the same way. So we're going to reread different parts of this story. So we're going to go back to verse 26 through 29. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in the chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near. As we follow Jesus, well, the first thing, if you're taking notes, uh, I, I always say, like, I'm not a big point. I don't like points when I preach, and then my, my outline is just full of points, and I never put them on the screen. 
If you're taking notes, you can write this down as a reminder. We are led by the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. See, here's the thing that stands out to me is that, that Philip didn't have to conjure up a ministry moment for himself. But the Spirit told him to go stand by the chariot and stand near it. Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. See, we are led by the Spirit. We have to understand, we are led by the Spirit. We do not lead the Spirit. We do not tell God what we want to do. We let God tell us what he wants to do through us. See, the, God uses obedient Christians to share the gospel. If, I, I believe this, that if Philip wasn't willing to go, God would have sent somebody else. That if Philip wasn't willing to go and, and go stand in the desert, God would have sent the next person who was willing to go. That God is in the business of using people who want to be used by him. Because the reality of it is, is that this, this, this following Jesus, this doing the work of the kingdom, is not about me and it's not about you. It's about Jesus. So if I let my pride and my ego get in the way of what God wants to do, then I'm just getting in the way of Jesus. I had a moment not too long ago where I was like, God, I just want to do more ministry. And let me peel back the curtain. What that means is I want to preach more. I want to go, I want to, like, I want to go visit nice places. I want, like, other churches, like, I want a church in, like, Hawaii to call me and be like, hey, do you want to come out and preach for a month? Like, yeah, all paid, like, all, ex- all exclusive trip. Don't bring your wife or your kids. Just come by yourself. <laughs> bring a bathing suit. My wife's not here. She's not watching either, so I can say that. She's coming to the next service, and I won't say that next time. I'll say, well, leave, just leave the kids. So your mom will watch them. Um, <laughs> I remember I had this moment where I was like, God, I just, want, I just want to do more ministry. And for me, that meant I want to preach more. I want to be up on stage. I want, to, I want to spend time reading and studying and writing and holding this microphone. Or even it means like sitting down and getting a cup of coffee with somebody. Like the, the, in my, that's where I'm comfortable in ministry. And what happened was I remember praying that prayer on a, on a Sunday after church. I think I, I preached in the next that night, I'm like, God, I want to do more ministry. God, let me preach more. And the next day, I have a friend who calls me, and his life is in, is in shambles. And I asked to do more ministry. <laughs> but, I, but it wasn't on my terms. And, and I acknowledged to God, I said, like, God, when I asked that, this is what I meant. You took me up on my bluff. I'm going to go do it. And you show up. And my question, and really what I'm getting into, is that when we are being led by the Spirit, we have to realize that God might want to do things through you that you're uncomfortable with. See, living a life of faith is not living um, a life of, that you want to live and then fitting Jesus in where it fits for you. Living a life of faith is walking obediently in the name of the one you trust named Jesus to wherever he sends you and wherever he wants you to go. So it's not, I'm going to follow Jesus if he just does the, he lets me do the things that I'm comfortable doing. I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to be obedient to him no matter what. If that means he sends me into the desert, I'm a sweaty dude. I don't want to go to the desert. It's too hot in here for me right now. I want it to be like 55 degrees all the time, forever, winter. We can get rid of summer. But see, it's not about what we want to do. It's about what God wants to do through you. 
And look, here's the thing that in this moment we can see is that sometimes when we do ministry, we think that the result is on us. The only thing is on you is to be willing to go. See, God initiated this moment, and God saw this moment through. <coughs> Excuse me. Philip did nothing in this moment except say yes to God. God is the one who, at the end of the story, is, brings salvation to the Ethiopian eunuch. So the, the work isn't on me and it isn't on you, but it's rather it's on God. In Philippians 1.6, it says this, Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until the completion of the day of Christ. That I want you to notice that, that God wants to do something. He's going to do it, and he's going to see it through. <coughs> So the spirit told Philip, go to the chariot, in, in verse 29 and 31, go to the chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And I want you to understand this. Now, see, for me, if the spirit had led me to go into... <clears throat> the desert, and I didn't know the outcome, I don't know if I would have gone. See, for some of us, I think that we are people who need the big picture. But God, I want you to use me, but I also want the itinerary. Like, show me where I'm, where I'm going to go, who I'm going to talk to. Like, can I get a nameplate that says, like, um, you know, Travis, like, if I'm supposed to meet with Travis, here you go, I'm holding his name, we get to run into each other. Like, we know where we're going. I need to, I, I want the big picture, but for Philip, he didn't get the big picture. God just sent him to go somewhere. And we are called to, like, if God says to go, we're supposed to go, and we have to trust that he has something else in store. So that, that when we trust the Holy Spirit, we have to trust that he has the whole picture in mind. That we have to trust him when we even don't, we don't see the whole plan. That we have to trust him when we don't know what's coming next, but we know that he is on the move and he is going to do something good because he's a good God. <clears throat> last one, last cough. Um, she, she did. You follow me, camera? It's in, yeah. it's in the desert. That was far. All right, I'm going to cough again right now. <coughs> All right, here's the thing. And Philip goes and he reaches one guy. And how many, like, I know for me, when I wanted, when I wanted, when I told God I wanted to do ministry, I wanted to do ministry to, to hundreds, to thousands, to, to, to multiples. And God gave me an opportunity to go to the one. And I wonder if Philip would have been, who just came off of, preaching in a town and having people come to know Jesus in the masses if he was upset in this moment because he was just that one guy. But do you know what church history, church history says that the, this Ethiopian eunuch goes on to evangelize to Ethiopia? And that, do you know, that Ethiopia was the second nation to declare Christianity as their state's religion. And that nearly half of, of modern Ethiopians claim Christ. That sometimes what we deem as an inconvenience and insignificant, God wants to do something mighty and big through. See, can you trust the Holy Spirit even when you can't see the whole picture? 
See, for Philip, the end of the story was baptizing the Ethiopian. But for God, the story is still going on today in Ethiopia. So can you trust God to do what God wants to do? And then as we, as we live and as we live this out, and God wants to do his will through you, I want you to remember this. Don't try to, for, don't try to form God's will around your life but rather let God form you around his will. Be formed by the will of God in your life. Don't try to form God into all the pieces that you want him to do and that you're willing to do. So the first thing was we're led by the Spirit. And we're going to jump down to Acts 8, 34 through 36. 34 says, The eunuch said to Philip, Tell me, please, who the prophet is talking about, himself or somebody else. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. He was traveled along the road. They came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of being baptized? So let's understand this moment. If you're taking notes, you can write this down, that the gospel is for all people. That the gospel is for all people. Excuse me. Let's understand something right now, that between Philip and the eunuch, there is a social dynamic going on, that the eunuch is a, is a, um, he's a high-level government official, and Philip, he's one of the disciples. I don't know, I don't know how you ever pictured the disciples, but I just imagine they are like middle school boys, and they're really stinky, and they're really dirty. Like, they live in the ancient Near East. They don't have indoor plumbing and showers. They're like running around in the desert. Um, I'm sure he's like dusty and dirty. And then you have this guy who is a high-level official in the house of a, the queen of Ethiopia. There is a social dynamic going on where the Ethiopian is sitting at a higher social status than Philip is. But Philip, in the lower social status, gets up in the chariot and shares the gospel with the guy who's sitting in a higher status. See, there is no marker of who's the most important in the kingdom of God. See, God's not in, God is not worried about who is where in the, in the ladder of life and the way that we've defined the way it looks on this earth. God is concerned with people. There, so there's a social dynamic going on. But also there's this, there's this moment at the end of what we just read where the eunuch says, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized. What I've always heard this to be is like a preacher's rally cry to, hey, let's go get baptized. Like if you're following Jesus, look, what are you waiting for? Go get baptized. One more cough <coughs> and some water. Um, what are you waiting for to get baptized? But as I read through some scholarly writing and some some articles, I realized that this is much more of a loaded question than him just asking, like, can I get baptized right now? See, for the eunuch, he's, a, he, he's asking a question of whether he can actually belong in the family of God. He's saying, look, here is water. What stands in the way from me being fully committed to Jesus? Because here's the thing about the eunuch. The eunuch is a, a castrated man. 
He, to the, so he, it says he went to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. But Judaism would not have accepted him because of what the, the state that he is in. Because he could not have fully been a Jewish person. One, he's outside of Jerusalem. He, he's, he's not part of the Israelites. But two, he's a castrated man. So he cannot participate fully in Judaism. So at best, he's a God-fearer. So at best, he can worship God from a distance. From best, he's an outsider looking in. He, life circumstances has put him on the sideline. And he's asking this question because he knows this reality of wanting to be a part of something and not being allowed to enter into it. He's saying, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? What can stand in the way? What is wrong with me? Tell me the thing that is going to limit my ability to be fully devoted to Jesus. Because in my experience, it's been this. So tell me that the reason I couldn't be a follower of Judaism is the same reason I can't be a follower of this Jesus guy. Just lay it on me. Let me know. And really what he's asking is, Am I still good enough for God to love me? Am I too messed up? Am I too broken? Can I actually be a part of this? And the reality is, is that hits home for so many of us. Is that we stand in the presence and we look at the cross and we am I actually good enough to accept the love of Jesus? Am I actually good enough that Jesus would die for me? That if you're sitting in this room and you're thinking, if these people actually knew who I was, they wouldn't want me in this building. That the things that I've done have disqualified me from being a part of the kingdom work. At best, I'm an observer. At best, I can come and I can do the best that I can, but if, but if God really knew me and these people really knew me, they'd send me out and they wouldn't want me here. And that's the question that this Ethiopian is asking Philip, and that's the question that so many of us ask day after day. That some of us haven't made this step into faith because we believe we're unworthy of the love of God. Because you've sinned too much, you've gone too far, that you've... That you've you're too scarred, you're too beaten up, and you're too bloody that God looks at you and he looks at you with disgust. And that's what you think, and that's the farthest from the truth. And the other thing of it is, is that for some of us, we think that we've disqualified ourselves from God. But like the eunuch, he didn't do these things to himself. Can we be real for a second? That some of us think that we're unworthy of the love of God because things have been done to us. Things have been said to us. People have made you believe things about you. And that you think that because people, maybe you went to a church and the church rejected you and now you believe that God rejects you. And that's not the truth. That maybe something has happened in your life where Somebody did something or somebody said something and now you believe this thing about you that, that you, you carry this, this, this trauma and you believe that you are so unworthy of the love of God that if people knew and if God really knew and if God really loved you that none of these things would have happened, that you wouldn't be where you are. One of my things when I preach is I, 
I don't ever want to like, I want to be vulnerable to a fault. I'd rather be so vulnerable, you guys never want to hear me preach ever again than pretend that I'm perfect. So for me, there's something in me that I inherently believe that I am an unlikable person. So there's times in my life where I, I believe that God loves me, but I don't believe that he likes me. And that gets in my way of my relationship with Jesus. Like, I would go into it, but you guys aren't my therapists, right? So we'll keep going. But I, I inherently at times just believe that I am unlikable, that, that people are just, they, they're just nice to me because I'm the preacher boy, or they're just nice to me because I hold the door for them, or they're just nice to me because I'm nice sometimes. I have this inherent belief that I am unlikable and that, that God just puts up with me. And that gets in my way of my worship. That has gotten in the way of, of my relationship with Jesus and fully being, like, diving in. And it, because if I don't think God likes me, then he doesn't want to do anything through me. He's just tolerating me. Like, yeah, he saved the whole world, and there's these people he likes, and then there's people like me. He just sits to the side who are like, we are a, we're collateral damage in salvation. Like, we've just slipped in through the cracks somehow. But I, I'm reminded of this, and I think, you know, God doesn't like me. God doesn't, he might love me. And, but I remember this, that Romans 8, 5, 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were still enemies to the kingdom of God, while we were still an enemy to God, he died for me. That while you and me were still enemies to God, he died for us so that we could have salvation. There's not this, what is keeping me from, from experiencing the fullness of Jesus? Why, what is making it so that I can't be a full participant in the life of Christ? It, that, that's not the question that God came, that God put on skin, that he came to this earth, he lived, he died, and he rose again so that you can be made brand new. Do you understand that? That when you accept Christ, that version of you that you believe is so unworthy no longer exists. That you're washed clean. That you're made brand new. That when God sees you, he doesn't see that version of you that you keep dragging along. But he looks at you and he sees the righteousness of Jesus in you. See, we don't have to, to clean ourselves up. We don't have to figure it all out to accept the salvation of Jesus. That while you are still sinners, while you're still broken, still beat up, still dirty, still far from God, he came and he loved you by dying on the cross. Whether you would accept it or not, he did it anyway. Whether you would accept it or not, when you were his enemy. So am I good enough? No, but Jesus is. Am I good enough? No, but Jesus is. And is there anything keeping me from knowing God? Maybe, but Jesus, the, the scriptures say we're, we're being refined like gold, that God is pulling out the impurities. See, I might believe that I'm inherently unlikable at times, but I know that's not the truth. I might have those moments where I have a bad day. I'm like, nobody likes me. My kid doesn't even want to, I, I bought him a video game. He doesn't want to play it with me. He wants to play with his, with his mom. She doesn't even know how to turn the video games on. My kid doesn't even like me. But the reality is this, is that God died so that you could be free from all these things. That you could be free from all these things. Jesus has taken care of it. And the last thing is this, 
is that if you're, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, is that the gospel requires a response. The gospel requires a response. So I want to look at that question that the eunuch asked again in verse 36 through 39. It says, as they were traveling along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? Excuse me. And he gave the orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went into the water, and Philip baptized him. When he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, teleported Philip away, standing firm. And the eunuch did not see him again. And they went, he went on rejoicing. So we said that the, the, that question, look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of being baptized? Why can't I be baptized? We said that's a loaded question. He, he's asking a much more, uh, a larger question. But the reality is, is that he got to this point where it's time for him to respond to the gospel. And he's all in. He's trying to figure out why he can't respond to the gospel. And a lot of scholars believe that the, um, the same way that a lot of preachers have um, a style of preaching, that the disciples had a style of sharing the gospel. So if you remember in Acts 2, Peter says this. I'm like all messed up on the slide, so I apologize. Um, Acts 2, 38 through 39 says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, and for all whom the Lord will call. A lot of scholars and, and commentators believe that, that Philip was possibly sharing a gospel in a similar fashion. That's why the, the eunuch gets to this point where he's like, all right, should I get baptized? Should I get baptized? Because that is his, is his response to the gospel. In the same way that a lot of You'll see Pastor Bert and I, we do the ABC method. Admit, believe, confess. Admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus, and confess with your mouth that he is Lord and Savior. It, it, it's a model of sharing the gospel. So they, a lot of them believe that he is doing this same type of thing. So he's at this moment, he's like, all right, you've shared the gospel, and he is all in. He's like, what is stopping me from getting baptized? There's water right there. The gospel requires a response, whether you know you're responding or not. It requires a response because here's it is. You're being confronted with an eternal reality that you either say yes to the gospel and you get to spend eternity with Jesus. And you either say no to the gospel or you spend eternity separated from Jesus. It doesn't matter. Here's the thing. The gospel is true. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. If you don't believe it, you're saying no. If you do believe that it's true and you still say no, you're still saying no. The gospel requires a response. So for, for the eunuch, the response is, I'm all in. Get me baptized. Because that is what comes after salvation, after repentance, after accepting Jesus, repenting from your sins, turning away from your sinful life. You get baptized to demonstrate what God has done inside of you that you are made brand new. And for some of you, that is your next step, is to be baptized. And if you've never been baptized, I'm going to offer you a crazy opportunity. After the second service, you want to go get baptized, I'll go with you right now to the bay, and I'll baptize you today. And if it's like one of you, I'll buy you a blizzard. But if it's like 10 of you, you're on your own. <laughs> I'll eat a blizzard with you. Um, but look, if you've never been baptized, the, 
the, the, the gospel requires response. If the, the, the response of the gospel requires that if you say yes to Jesus, you can't say yes to Jesus on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can't say yes to Jesus when it works for your schedule. You can't say yes to Jesus when it works with your lifestyle. When you say yes to Jesus, you have to say yes and be all in. See, because living a life of faith is, and practicing a life of faith is not doing what you want and trying to fit God in where it works. Living a life of faith and walking out a life of faith is living a life submitted to the will of God in obedience to the Holy Spirit. And scripture says if you've been saved, if you've repented from your sins and you've given your life to Christ, your next step is to get baptized. And for some of us that, look, as you live out this life with Jesus, the gospel is living inside of you. That Jesus is living inside of you. And look, for me, I give a response to the gospel every morning. Jesus, I choose you today. I wake up, I get out of bed, and Jesus, I'm all in. I might not be all in at that red light, but after that, I'm all in. No. I'm all in, Jesus. I'm all in. And for some of us, you've been baptized, you, you've repented, you, you've made that next step. And for some of you, there's some other things that are off in your life that you know that Jesus has been working in, that the Holy Spirit, full circle, has been leading you to change in your life. And if you're saying that the gospel requires a response, that the, the gospel is confronting you every day and some things that are off in your life, that what he's calling you to do is to be obedient. To step out when you might not even understand where you're stepping into. To do something that it might be scary. It, you know, maybe God is like, you feel like God's calling you to like move to Idaho or Wyoming or like the middle of the desert. You know, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to pretend like I don't hear God saying this. It requires a response. You either say yes or you say no. You're either saying you're all in or you're all out. Because the reality is you can't do this halfway. One of the most heartbreaking things I think about the American church at times is we've made Christianity far too convenient. We've made it where you have to have very little sacrifice. But I look at the people who are following Jesus, and they've done nothing but turn their lives upside down for Jesus. They've done nothing but be uncomfortable for Jesus. They've done nothing but give it all up for Jesus. And that's what the response of the gospel requires of us, is that you're either all in or you're all out. We can't do this Jesus thing halfway. So church, we are... As we follow and we live out this life, you have to remember that we are led by the Spirit. We do not lead the Spirit. The gospel is for you and for me. It's for all people. There's no classification and qualifications to exceed, accept the gift of Christ. And that as we follow out the gospel in our life, it requires a response from us each and every day in different moments. And I want to be a faithful person. I want to follow Jesus wherever he sends me. As uncomfortable it is, as sweaty as I get, as scared as I get, if it means getting rid of everything that makes me comfortable and makes me happy and air conditioning and my video games, then so be it. Because I believe that the life that Jesus has for me is better than anything that I can create for myself. So let's pray. Father, I thank you God, I thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. 
while we were your enemy, God, you, you looked upon us and you loved us. And you took upon the weight of the world and you died and you rose again so we can be free. God, and I pray that this morning, God, that we would have the confidence to step fully into a relationship with you, that we'd be fully obedient to your will in our lives. God, that we wouldn't be living a life of faith that looks like doing whatever we want and, t- and attaching your name to it, but we would li- be living a life of faith that we're doing whatever you've called us to do whenever you call us to do it. So, Father, we praise you and we love you, and we pray that you would just move in power in us and through us, God, that Lewis, Delaware, and America would look different in the name of Jesus. Bring this nation to salvation. Father, we praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.